Well, first of all, we need to talk about Nathaniel. He is going to be one of the most important people in your kids' lives. So I want you to be praying for him and all that he does uh, with your teenagers. Uh, one of the things that I loved about my elders is they would tell us time after time, we pray for you every day. And I kept thinking, well, that's really nice. And there was a guy named Rick Ashley who was the preacher at the time. There was another guy named Barry Packer, Brad Small, and I. And we were all young. We were all at a church that was at that time about 400 members and it grew to about 1,200 within a few years. And we were all just trying to pretend like we knew what we were doing in ministry because we didn't know we were still so young. And yet we had spiritual, wise men praying for us. And they would, they would keep saying that, but they didn't just say it. I'll never forget an elder. His name was Mel Holt. And Mel Holt would reach into his pocket and he'd pull out this note card. And he would say, that's who I'm praying for. And I would see my name up on the top of his list. I don't know if I was on the top of his list because he thought I needed more or what, but my name was there. So I thought, I've thought back to all the people that he prayed for and how all of them have gone on to do great things in ministry. I'm not saying myself, but the other people in the, on that list. We never had a misstep, never had uh, one of those embarrassing moments where a ministry has to resign in disgrace. Uh, from elders praying for us constantly and uh, consistently. So I'd ask you to put Nathaniel's name on your list and uh, help him, encourage him, support him. Now, he is young. In fact, I have jeans, blue jeans, that are older than Nathaniel. <laughs> I got blue jeans much older than he is. But uh, he's going to grow. He's going to learn. You guys need to be patient because I remember what it's like to be uh, him, and you walk in going, I think I know what I'm doing, but I'm going to make some mistakes. That's how you learn. And you need to have the grace to allow him some of those rookie mistakes uh, to do that. But you can help him grow. That was what happened to all of us. Without older, wiser, mature, spiritual people, we would not have become who we have become. And I attribute everything uh, to those people. Several years back, and I don't, this is going to push you into a, man, uh, he must be really something. I won a, a, the Teacher of the Year Award at ACU, which I was the most shocked person of the whole faculty that I won that day. But they started reading all these things that, that students had said about me without revealing who I was. And I realized those were some comments that had been on my teacher evaluations. And then all of a sudden they announced you. And I literally had about five seconds where I went, whoa, that's me. And then, and Robert is this, this person. Well, that blew me away. I called my mother to tell her I'd won the award. She wasn't there. They didn't tip her off. So I called my mom. I said, guess who won Teacher of the Year at ACU? And she said, who? And I went, well, that's a little discouraging. <laughs> she, she didn't think of me right off the bat. And I said, it was me. And she goes, really? And she kind of sounded surprised. And so I was really, really kind of hacked off at that point uh, that I even even called her in the first place. But the first thing I did after I'd called my mama is I went back to my office and I flipped that nice plaque they gave me over. I began to write names. I wrote several of my elders. I wrote guys like Charles Seibert, Paul Faulkner, Carl Burkeen, some of the names you might know and have heard. Those were my teachers. I wrote every one of them that I could remember 
shaped me and influenced me. And anytime one of them would come by, I would, they'd say, hey, look at that. Teacher of the year. I said, yeah, but look who is responsible. And I flipped the plaque. I said, I am a product of this great group of people, men and women who taught me so well. And so I don't take the credit for it. You poured into me. God's poured into you, and it just kept flowing down. And I said, that's what helped me become who I am today. I'm thankful for that. So uh, keep, keep working with this young man. He, he's going to be a good one, and I, I hope that you'll be uh, in prayer about that. All right, for those who weren't with us yesterday, we talked about sexuality, and I know that's really kind of weird to talk about because it's Sunday, we're inside a building, and, and that's kind of weird. Now, there, there was a song I played yesterday that we, they were all hoping I would play this morning, but I'm not going to, but you can ask them about it. Uh, but one of the things that we talked about, just to give you a brief summary, especially the, the, any teenagers who are in here that weren't with us yesterday, we talked about sex was God's creation. And we have too long acted like he had nothing to do with it. And when we're silent about it as a church, they think God knows nothing about it. The other thing that comes into play is they think sex is bad. And when you take it out of the boundaries that he put in place, it can really hurt people. It can really have some damaging consequences. But God said, if you'll handle this well, he doesn't create things without giving you some guidelines, and he gives us some great guidelines in the Bible. And sometimes we, get, we kind of forget about them, or, or we don't remember exactly what things are being said about it. So we kind of went back to that, and we talked about it. And we looked at scriptures like 1 Corinthians 6, in which it says things like, The body is not meant for sexual immorality. The creator, the designer of our bodies said that to us through his inspired word of God. Your body matters. It's not just a spiritual deal. It's actually what your body does and what you involve your body in. He says, I know how you're made. If any one of you in this room had a car that started sputtering today or some lights came on the dashboard and you didn't know what was going on from just instantly knowing the sound or what's going on, you would probably go to a repair shop. But if you thought, I can fix that myself, you still would go into the glove compartment and go, what is that light thingy on my dashboard? What, what, is that flashing? Is that a bad thing? And you would look in the glove compartment at an owner's manual written by the creators of your Chevrolet, Ford, whatever. What I was trying to call us to yesterday is going back to the original creator and designer of it. Some of our teenagers think someone else invented sexuality, especially the fun type of sexuality. Uh, I'm not going to ask the teenagers in this room to raise their hands, but I typically would ask a big group of teenagers as we start off, how many of you think your parents have had sex? Raise your hand. And so, yeah, <laughs> one of the guys going, uh, I, there's my brother, my sister, and me. Yeah, three times. Sometimes that's, that's as good as it gets, and they're thinking, well, that, that's all they, they've done that. I'm, I'm guessing it's a little higher than three. Yet, we're sometimes afraid to say that out loud. Especially among, among Christians. That sex is actually enjoyable. It's good. It's a great creation. I think it's one of his best inventions since salvation, personally. It's a good thing. It's pleasurable. It's, it's a, a wonderful experience. It's unifying with each other. 
as you have a great physical relationship. But it's not just about the physical. It's about two souls coming together. Uh, when your parents got married, they knew each other somewhat. As they have been married across time, they know each other very, very well. In fact, sometimes they start acting like each other. It kind of gets weird where they start kind of looking sometimes like each other a little more and acting like each other and finishing each other's phrases because their souls and their lives are knit together. The, the Bible talks about it in, uh, early on about Adam knew his wife Eve. Well, that's much more than just sexual. He got to know her. Uh, the actual term in the Hebrew is yada. And I know there's this, you're thinking of the Seinfeld episode, probably yada, yada, yada. To know, to know, to know. Intimacy. Physical. Intimacy of lives, minds, bodies. Those things are things that are God's design. They're good. Intimacy. I, I do this little wordplay with my students at ACU. Into me see. Intimacy. Into me see. If you ever want to talk about transparency, talk about transparency in marriage. They see the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm not just talking about their body. I'm talking about them. They sometimes have parts of their lives that they reveal to someone that they really trust and care about. But isn't it great to have somebody who says, in spite of all that, I still love you? Which is very much like our relationship with God, who says, I see it all. I see everything, and yet I still choose to love you, irrationally at times. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we talked about yesterday, when it says that this is God's will. And everybody in this room wants to do God's will, right? If you do, then when it comes to this topic, it says you should learn to control your body. There is a theology of control. Now, the world has a very different theology for you young people. It says that you guys are animals, and you can't possibly control yourselves. You're just full of raging hormones. There's no possible way you could ever say no to any temptations that are out there, especially sexual, because you are so young and so vibrant and all. Yet God says, I see you as more, uh, more than just animals. You're higher. You're greater than animals. And he thinks of you at a much higher level. He thinks you're very capable of controlling and managing your own selves across time. So you're going to have to choose who you're going to listen to, culture or God. Um, so those, those are some of the biggies. I, I, I also talked about the Garden of Eden, that everything was perfect at one time, and, and then we messed up. Uh, that's just part of, the, part of the deal, that we left a very perfect world. Adam and Eve had to walk out, and it's been pretty chaotic. Uh, things that went from order to chaos, and they still do. And things are not going to be solved all the way till we get to heaven. That's where it goes back into perfection. So we have to deal with some problems in this world that you think, well, the Bible may not speak to that very directly, but we're going to do the best we can with what we have. And God didn't say, I'm going to invent something and then just leave you to your own devices. He said, I'm going to give you some guidance. So... Uh, check out 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 6. Check out the stories, and we'll talk about some of these stories in our questions today. But here were, a couple of que here were some of the questions that I got yesterday, and I'm going to just go through these one at a time. Uh, 
and I think you'll, you'll pick up some of the other things we talked about yesterday from the questions themselves. question was asked, how do we address sex with our kids without making it into a really bad thing or overselling sex, saying it's such a great thing? Uh, the first thing for most of us as Christians is to at least admit sex is a fantastic idea. I wish more preachers would get up and say sex is wonderful. Uh, I actually had an elder's wife talk to my teenagers about sex one time. I didn't know what she was going to say, but here's, here was her opening line. Imagine 70-year-old woman up here at the podium talking to a bunch of teenagers, and she said, I love having sex with Richard. You could see the shivers going down their spines. <laughs> and, and she kind of went on, she went on from there and talked about it a little more in detail. And I was kind of like, stop, stop. This is embarrassing me at this point. I'm finding out more than I wanted to know about one of my elders, and I have to meet with these guys every week. But she sent a message, and the message from the kids was, well, it sounded like a lot of fun. That's neat that she even hit her age, which, you know, her age is getting a little closer to my age, so I'm kind of resenting that a little bit. But they were saying, we get it. This is a good thing. And I think that's the beginning point for us uh, in general. Uh, I'll never forget my, uh, my church. They decided uh, they were going to do a curriculum and study, and they're going to take every teenager from 6th grade through 12th grade through the whole Bible, every book of the Bible. And that sounds good in theory, doesn't it? Sounds like a great deal until you hit Leviticus, Deuteronomy, some of those that you're just going, whoa, these are getting kind of old. But they forgot that we were going to go through Song of Solomon. And one, I'll never forget the deacon who got up and he said, uh, one of you boys want to read chapter 3, verse 2? And we all looked at it. We had all been daily Bible readers through Song of Solomon, by the way. That was one of those books we were really fascinated with because there was a lot of stuff going on in there that we thought was pretty interesting. And we had known what that verse said. And we went, nope, <laughs> not going to read that out loud with all these girls here in the room. And so he's over there going, okay, I'll read it. I think his name was Billy Bob. We're West Texas, you know. And he says, uh, I, I will climb the palm tree and ooh, I'm going to take hold of your breast and uh, we're going to continue to climb the palm and take a hold of the... Well, why don't we move on to Proverbs? <laughs> and we got the, we got the message that he was too embarrassed to say the words out loud. He was too embarrassed to talk about even what was in some of those chapters. And it was in our Bibles. You know, it's one of those deals where you have, have kids, and I remember us thinking, we're going through Song of Solomon, and we're going, yeah, it is a Bible. And that made it in. Because God wants to know that there is something really incredible and special about sexuality. And there's some relationships and some, there's some incredible lessons in Song of Solomon way outside of sexuality about relationships. And to be able to teach out of that to people who are thinking about someday getting married and, and 
going to that, that uh, relationship phase they go through is really important. One of, the, one of the things that we've got to do is just understand it is a, a, uh, what we call a double-edged sword. Let's pretend I have a knife in my hand. Let's say it's long and it's sharp. And I were to walk around and I'm going to ask a question. And the question is this. Is this knife good or bad? And I, I kind of toss it around here at Jim's head. And I ask him, <laughs> good or bad, Jim? And Jim would say, depends on what you're doing with it. Depends on what we're doing with it. Exactly. Hence, sexuality. Whose hand's on that knife? How is it going to be used by that hand? In the hand of a surgeon, it might actually save a life. Kid's choking. Can't get any air. He may use that knife to make a trachea spot. Emergency, last minute. In skilled hands, it's a wonderful thing. It could be in the hands of someone trying to rob Jim. Bad thing. That's one of the things that God gave us, and that is a choice. I'm giving you a gift. What you choose to do with it and how you choose to use it is going to be up to you. I'm going to give you some guidelines. You'll have to figure out, are, am I going to pay attention? Is this going to be helpful to you? Uh, some students sometimes look at the Bible and see this as a big list of rules, and you see all those pages and think of all these, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, do not, do not, do not. But the bottom line is, he's not being arbitrary and just saying, I'm just doing this to be mean. He's trying to take care of you. Even the Ten Commandments. Sounds pretty negative in half of that list. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. A lot of not, 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 not. He's not doing that for his benefit. He's got a great place. He's in, he's in uh, the realms where he's not having to worry about these things. But he is worried about what you're dealing with. Uh, he's trying to build communities where you ha don't have to worry about your neighbor. He's trying to build a church community where you're, you're not having to wonder, is somebody going to be hitting on my wife while I'm here at church? Because he wants to protect your marriage from problems. And if you are envious and if you're coveting someone else's stuff even, it can cause you to be jealous and it could cause you to do some things that you shouldn't be doing. So it's not about him. He's thinking about us. So this is a huge love letter saying, I care about you. Um, what, what's going to make this different is the fact that this book is a fantastic book that guides you through life. Now, is it prepared to answer every single question we have? Probably not. But it answers a lot more than we probably think about. So uh, I'll, I'll leave that with you. Uh, another, another question. Everyone is a sinner and Christ's blood covers our sins. Does this apply to uh, people who continue to practice sinning? Se especially sexual sin is one of the ones mentioned here. And I would say that there's a, a particular verse that would answer this. It's over in Romans chapter 1. And I bet you most of you in this room can quote it from memory but the writer says what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means by no means goes on to say we died to sin how can we live in, in any longer don't you know that all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we are therefore buried with him through baptism into death and in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father we too may live a new 
life. We talked yesterday about some things that, that you may consider, hey, uh, I'm not exactly sure what God called us to in, in certain things uh, regarding sexuality. Here's what I can tell you is, if you feel like you're sinning and you're just going to continue on, you're not buying into the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There's something to be different about all Christians. We are to be different from the world. There's this contrast back and forth. The world's going to act like it's going to act. It's going to have its own set of rules, but God's people should be different. Philippians talks about we are to be like stars in the universe, a contrast. Galatians 2.20 talks about, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The question is, can people see you, can see Christ in you? Um, there are, and especially since they're teenagers in this room, there are some teenagers who may not know everything they need to know about what God has called them to. And I think that may be where grace comes in and helps you. But there's some of you who know exactly what God's telling you, and you choose to be willfully defiant. I run into them at my campus. They say, I know what God says, or they even read, they'll read the verse. And they'll say, I think God doesn't want me to do that, but I choose to do it anyway. That's willful defiance. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, Grace is going to have a hard time covering stuff like that because you're shaking your fist at the face of God. And if you want to read a little story about someone who, who was a great guy but still shook his fist at God once, is a guy named Job. And, and God comes back with, where were you when I made the heavens? Where were you? And where were you? Where were you? Where you? He kind of put him back in his place. But those that repented, those that knew they were wrong, you could tell. They went, I messed up. And they became the people that God called them to be across time. Uh, the Saul's, who became Paul, he was wrong. He was persecuting the Christians. And all of a sudden, uh, the light uh, came. He was blinded. He got things right and straight and changed completely. Did a 180 totally different life he got it and the writer here saying don't go looking for cheap grace because the price tag was not cheap it was Jesus' life so there should be a difference in you it should be incredible now that song some of you teenagers you sung, you sung that song I've been crucified with Christ by the way that is the weirdest melody to go with those words I've ever heard I've been crucified with Christ. Oh, yay! It sounds like a Disney song, like Small World After All. You know, if you've been to Disney World, it's got that little happy-go-lucky tune, right? I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Whoo! And, and you're going, listen to the words. Listen to the words. I have been crucified. What picture would that draw up in a Jewish mind? I've been crucified. Blood. Wood, nails, pain, screams. I've been crucified with Christ. Some of us are living our lives just like that. I'm, I've been crucified with Christ, but I'm going to have fun. 
I'm not going to pay attention to what Jesus was going to do or ask me to do. I'm just going to live. I'm going to have fun. And Jesus is saying, I'm calling for you to die so that I may live in you. What does that look like? I had a little lady. She was, had to be about 85 years old. And she let me stay in her home when I was an intern long ago in Fort Worth, Texas. Her name was Lucy. Lucy was about this tall. Maybe weighed 85 pounds. Stay with that summer. Wonderful lady. Read scriptures together with her. Just She loved on me. I loved her. Uh, it was a great time. I left. I heard the story. She went to the grocery store one night in Fort Worth, Texas. Dark, late at night. Was by herself. She's getting into her car, trying to get into her car, when all of a sudden a guy comes up and tries to grab her purse. And he's going to steal it. And she saw him coming. She, she grabbed hold of the purse. He's got the strap. He's starting to pull. And he says, lady, let me have your purse. She says, no. No. Give me your purse. I'll hurt you. She says, I don't care. So he tugs harder. They're doing this tug of war back, you know, tug of war back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally she looks up at him and says, does your mother know you're doing this? He stops. No. No, she does. No. Well, you shouldn't be doing this. He said, give me the purse. Starts to tug again. She's going back and forth, back and forth. And then she says, do you go to church? I said, Lucy, did you really? She said, yes. That boy needed to go to church. He needed to get his life right. And I said, he, in the midst of him tugging away and getting your purse. Uh-huh. And so he pulled out a knife. And he says, if you don't let go of this purse, I'm going to stick you with this knife. And she says, I'm not letting go of this purse. I'm going, Lucy, giving the purse. She said, no, it's my purse. And I said, he could have killed you. And she says, I'm already dead. I've been crucified with Christ. Okay, I know that's a nice verse, Lucy, but th this is life and death. And so he takes, he slashes with that knife at her. She doesn't know it wasn't at her, but he slashes the purse strap, thinking he can now pull it away from little Lucy. Well, Lucy just grabs the main body of the purse as soon as that happens. And she grabs a hold. And they keep tugging and, and going back and forth. He's still got the knife in one hand, purse in the other hand, trying to pull it away from her. And she says, have you read Acts 2.38? <laughs> Are you kidding me, Lucy? No. And I, so I quoted it to him. And finally, he realized, she ain't going to let go of this purse. And so he took his knife, slapped it together, walks off. I said, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard anybody do, Lucy. And she said, if he kills me, I just get to be the Lord faster. And she says, I hope he'll come to church with me someday. I'm going, oh, my goodness. Lucy, how can you do that? She says, got to walk closely with the Lord to have that viewpoint. I've been crucified with Christ. said, I was already dead. I was already dead. Not physically yet, but I'm getting close enough. That's the difference in how we view life. If 
we uh, think through that. Second, third one. What advice would you give to a parent of a teen or teens who are struggling with their sexual identity? Uh, we talked about the, those who weren't here yesterday just talking about everything from same-sex attraction, uh, talked a little bit about transgender is, is one of the new issues and problems that are that's out there and, and going on. Uh, the one thing I said churches can do a fantastic job about is loving any student, no matter what the problem. I don't care if they're sexually active. I don't care if they uh, had uh, kids out of wedlock. None of that matters. The thing that the church needs to do is be willing to love them right where they are, as messed up as they are. There's not one of us that walked in this church building this morning that has everything perfect and together. Otherwise, if we had everybody who has a problem had to stop at the door, you'd all be in the parking lot right now, and I'd be right behind you going, that's, that's going on. Now, in the foyer, I've noticed, at least in most churches of Christ out there, Everyone out here that I meet and ask them how they're doing, they tell me the word fine. I call that the Christian F word because it is such a trite little phrase. I know that some of you are not fine and y'all are telling me a lie. You're covering up. We're, we got our little mask on. I told my, my our folks yesterday there was a three-year period where my daughter was absolutely lost. She had stepped into a world that I had definitely not taught her to be in. And I grieved, and I cried, and I was not fine. Yet I tried to keep a strong uh, demeanor and a, a good face on here at church, but they'd turn the lights down for the invitation song, and I was crying. There'd be a song that was sung and I'd cry. And I'd look in my little girl's eyes and I couldn't see my little girl inside. Somebody else had taken over. And I searched for her. And I prayed for her. And I thought of nothing else. I'd wake up in the morning and I thought of her. I went to sleep at night and I thought of her. I, any idle moment of my day, I thought of her. And I, I did everything I possibly could. But bottom line, it was her life to live, her decision to make. But I did say, I will be with you as long as you are willing to come toward the Lord, try to get your life straight. I will spend every dime I have. I will not give you any more money if it's going to take you further down the toilet. But I will open every resource I have. And you can always come home. This is home. And our house was home. And I said it over and over and over for three solid years. And praise God, she came back. She came home. But being the parent of her prodigal is not much fun. I don't envy any one of you going through that right now. It's tough. But I tell you what she knew. She knew I loved her no matter what. That her actions... I disagree with strongly, but I loved her more. And I would be with her throughout, and she could always come back. And one of the things that I think we, we need to really work on is learning how to listen instead of lecture. Because I begin to ask her more questions than I, I had words to, of advice. Where did this go off track? 
What could I have done? We even talk now about, should I have, should I have done things differently with you? She said, no. She said, I would have made the same choices. It's not your fault. It's all, all on me. And that's, once again, speaking to her maturity. But I was willing to do whatever it took to help my daughter live out God's will in her life. said, I don't care what it is. I'll do anything to get you back in relationship with the Lord. Uh, I don't care if your kid's alcoholic, if that's the problem. I don't care if it's a sexual deal. I don't care if it's money. I don't care if it's drugs. Uh, all, those, all those things are significant challenges for young people. Guaranteed. If they need to know who's going to be with them when the chips are down, and that's where we're going to come in. One, uh, one more question. I think we're getting close on time. Do I have five minutes when the bell rings? Is that right? Okay, I'll, I'll knock this out then. How do you find a balance between love and acceptance and go and sin no more? Talked about the John 8 story. Jesus protected the woman, the woman who was guilty. They were going to kill her. And he protected her and said, no, 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 you're not going to kill her. But then he said, go and sin no more. How do, how do you get that balance down? Uh, I love the phrase that we need to learn how to connect before you correct. You've got to prove to them you really do, do love them before you're, you're speaking uh, harsh words or confrontive words, let's say. Uh, do, you're going to do things that help bring them towards you, not away from you. Here's what I, I fear a lot of churches are doing. Our kids come walking in and they are wounded, and so then we shoot our wounded once they come back in. We're going to say, we're going we're to take this out on you some more. They know when they come back in what everybody else thinks about them. They know what they did was wrong. They know we think what they did was wrong. And then we tell them again, hey, you know you were wrong. Will you admit that to us one more time and one more time? And, and they come back groveling. And you remember the story of the prodigal son? And the father is the heavenly father figure who runs to them, not waits, makes them crawl back. And there's a little older brother who had a bad attitude. And I hope you know he was one of the bad guys in this parable. Sometimes the older brother is kind of like our church. What, what's the deal you throw in a party? But the father, the heavenly father. And I'm going to tell you as a parent of a prodigal, I was throwing party. I was ready for a party. And anyone who didn't want a party, then you need to stay out of my way. That's my daughter walking back in. I was excited. But she had done lots of bad stuff. I don't care. The good news is she's come home. And you don't be beating up on my daughter. You hear me? Don't beat up. Don't shoot them again and say, that's what you can expect from the community of faith. Western Hills, we got to be a place that throws the party. we got to be a place that says, I don't care how screwed up you are. You walk through that door, you are going to be loved. And we are going to help you. And we're going to walk with you. And we'll talk. We'll talk about maybe how life can get better. Once again, the Jesus, go and sin no more. You're not off the hook. You don't just don't walk in and go, hey, I, imagine if one of your kids took off and they were gone for like three months. And then all of a sudden you, you searched and done everything you can, alerted the police, National Guard, everybody else. And then they finally walk back in and they say, uh, I'm back. Where have you been? They go, I don't want to talk about it. What have you been doing? don't want to talk about that and there's the attitude of I'm, I'm not really sorry and I don't need to explain anything at all and I'm just gonna gonna leave that in the past and I'll, 
Well, you've got, you've got to have this spirit. It's the spirit that King David had once he realized, I sinned, I messed up. Nathan's going, hey. And remember, he thought he had hidden it. <clears throat> but when he says, I have sinned, and he repented hard, like a lot of our kids do, they repent hard. God said, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, he did say, the sword will not depart from your house. There are some consequences for what you have done, but those didn't come from the Lord saying, you've got to do all these other things and all these other steps. He was saying, I'm glad you come back. That's important. All right. I'm going to be truthful with my time here today. I, I, I stole 10 minutes yesterday. I admit it. Uh, it went too long. But uh, I'm going to be here all day, and I, I may not have gotten to your question specifically, but you feel free to come up and talk to me, and, and I'll deal with any of that stuff. I'll be around at your, uh, uh, for use to talk and to listen uh, any today that, uh, that I can. Uh, but it's been great to be with you. Thank you for being here this morning for a Bible class and uh, look forward to worshiping together with you. Let's pray. Yeah, that's all right. Thank you, Father, for uh, allowing us to be together. Help us uh, as a group of older and mature adults to help the next generation. They are not the generation that is the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. Help us to realize that and know that and know that they need us and they need the wisdom and the spirituality that's among the uh, older folks of this church and that the older folks need to have a church that's going to go on through the younger lives that are going to be taking their places someday. I thank you, Lord, for the wisdom and the Bible, uh, that incredible love letter you've given to us. Help us to see it that way always and to let us know that you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.